So many things have ruined my childhood So I go on like to bitch and cry It feels like all of Hollywood is up against me They even made Optimus fly New versions of what I grew up with Are being remade, rebooted and retried My adolescence is under attack now I think that a part of me has died Aliens, uh-huh, uh-huh. Predators, uh-huh. Marvel, uh-huh. DC, uh-huh. Maybe it doesn't all quite fit Okay, well, except maybe for that Jar Jar Binks Could it be I've misunderstood? This podcast ruined my childhood Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Podcast Ruined My Childhood. I'm Phil Durasmo, and with me is Eric Walensky. Hey, folks. We have an urgent podcast for General Hux about his mother. Look, I can't hold forever. If you reach him, tell him Leia has an urgent message for him. I believe he's tooling with you, sir. About his mother. Open fire! We are talking about Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi, a very divisive film. There's people in both camps that love it and hate it, and there isn't really much in between. So Eric and I are going to talk about the film. We're going to talk about what worked for us, what didn't work for us, what worked for other people and didn't work for other people, and we'll see if this movie ruined our childhood. So Eric, let's start by talking about how we saw the film and what it evoked for us when when we went into the theater. Movie came out December 19th of 2017. Yeah, uh, I was in uh, good old Michigan at the time, and uh, I went and saw it with uh, my mom. First show on a Friday morning. It was the uh, 11.30 show, I believe. And that's what you do when you're an adult. You take a day off from work to go see Star Wars early so you don't have to mess with those freaking kids <laughs> <laughs> that's right those darn kids but uh <laughs> here's some money go see a star wars <laughs> um but uh yeah my first thought um boom theme hits opening crawl yeah a so-so opening crawl actually it didn't it didn't make me feel like ooh, i'm excited but it also, you know, wasn't as bad as, you know, war or <laughs> Luke Skywalker is missing. It's like, oh, geez. Or the dead speak. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hadn't seen that one yet. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that takes the cake. But uh, anyway, as soon as the one x-wing going out there here comes poe i'm like oh this looks cool I'm, I'm enjoying this look you know one single fighter against a star destroyer it's pretty cool and then he hovers there and he's like how oh, i talk to general hux hux gives him a little monologue and then he's like still waiting for hux 
And then, oh, can he hear me? He can't hear you. Oh, I have an urgent message about his mother. And right then I was like, ha, oh man, that is so cool. It's not Star Wars, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And that was my basic feeling through the entire Last Jedi was a lot of this isn't Star Wars, but I'm liking it. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. So for me, I saw it, gosh, three times in its first two days of release. Or maybe three times in three days of release. But I saw it, uh, so Thursday night, midnight showing, which they don't do midnight showings anymore. They release the movies at like 8 p.m. to make more money. So I saw it Thursday night of release at 8 p.m. Uh, which was actually December 18th. I, I I have to say, I loved it. Sure, the opening crawl isn't the best crawl we've ever had. Poe being a little jerk isn't really, like, Star Wars, but it kind of fits with Poe's jerky character. They're trying to make him the new Han Solo, and how do you reach a bunch of millennials watching this movie? You make a your mama joke, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Right. But after that joke... The fight that ensued with him flying through and blowing up the 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 guns on the top of the Star Destroyer, and then the bombers coming out, and the emotional sequence of the bombers trying to blow up the huge ship, and the character who we later find out is Kelly Marie Tran's character's sister, like what she has to do to make sure that she sacrifices herself, or you know, quote unquote, save the resistance. I loved it. It was hitting me everywhere that a Star Wars movie should hit me right out of the gate, except for the Your Mama joke. Yeah, that's and that's the thing. I don't mind a little humor. Obviously, the humor is what makes it, and I get it. He's trying to be the new Han Solo-ish character, but a Your Mom joke doesn't fit in the Star Wars universe. You should have turned it into some sort of a Star Warsy reference right. rather than a Your Mama joke. But then, once we moved back there, like I said, I laughed at it, and I was like, ha, that was funny, it's clever, it's not Star Wars, but it's clever. And then, what he does with an X-Wing fighter is amazing. Yeah. Like, yeah. That that kind of uh, spaceship flying, we have not really seen that. Even, even in the prequels, there were some pretty cool, Anakin did some pretty cool twisty, up-and-downy kind of things, and but... <laughs> Up but, and downy kind of things. Yeah, but we've never seen like the true extent of what you can do with an X-wing, and man, that was super duper cool. Slamming the S foils shut real quick, and then pulling mm-hmm. a reverse and everything. And they actually do a little yeah. bit of that in Star Wars Rebels too, with uh, you know X-wings being able to do those pretty cool kind of flight maneuvers. So I I love that. And yeah, the bombers and the whole thing, and then it. That was incredible. It was a great opening sequence, and I was very much enjoying myself. Until I remember Han Solo's dead. And oh, yeah. then I get sad again. <laughs> yeah. It, it's a sad moment to have the realization, especially in a little bit. You know, we're on Octo, and we have the scene that really sent the fandom in a tizzy when Ray hands Luke Skywalker his old lightsaber, which is his father's old lightsaber, and he takes it 
which is the scene we didn't see at Force Awakens. Force Awakens, she was just extending it out to him. He takes it from her in this movie, looks at her, looks down at it, and then throws it over his shoulder. And fanboys immediately went crazy. My my Luke Skywalker wouldn't do that. My Luke Skywalker would never throw away a lightsaber. My Luke Skywalker understands the weight of the moment. Well, guess what, folks? Your Luke Skywalker is in pain. He is in it grieving, and he's feeling immense layers of guilt and wants nothing to do with the Force, which has ruined his life. So although it was played off as a joke, and people said Luke Skywalker would never act that way. As the movie played out, and you really got to see who Luke Skywalker had become and why he became that way, that works perfectly for me. Hmm. <laughs> I chuckled, but I, in retrospect, I started really thinking about it. And despite the pain and all of that... And here's here's why, though, I would have thought he would have been like, because then later on, he's like, and, and it's literally only two minutes later where he's like, who are you? But who are you? Why are you here? Like that reaction should have been then. You know, he could have taken the lightsaber, said like, who are you? And she goes, I'm Ray. I need you for the resistance. And then, and then throw it. And then throw it. Or, or then do something like you think he's going to be like, wow, oh, somebody needs me here. Oh, here we go. But instead, you know, or even as he walks by her, just like, boom, slams it back in her hands and says, no, thanks. And you'd be like, what? So I get all the pain stuff you're talking about, but that that actual moment seemed weird because you do find out later he'd cut himself off from the force and everything so it's not even like you can say well he'd already sensed her power and he knew she was there and she and he already knew all these things and was like oh great not getting dragged into that again mm -hmm. so that's why he just tossed it because he, he's already cut himself off so this is a complete stranger in the middle of nowhere galaxy and yeah i i see what you're saying but I will take you back and I'll raise you a new hope. Luke is impulsive. Luke doesn't think before he acts. And Luke thinks that he's right all the time. And sure, he grows a little bit in Empire and then really grows in, in Return of the Jedi. You know, his whole arc is just beautifully written. And an exclamation point's put on it when he says, I am Luke Skywalker and I'm a Jedi like my father before me. Just, it's beautiful. But... You have to remember who Luke was, and now that he's cut himself off from people for at least 10 years, I think maybe it's even 12 years, he he probably has regressed to more like the Luke from A New Hope than the Luke that was high on the Force in Return of the Jedi. So I could see him not caring, not wanting to know anything, and just flipping it over his head. But now you hit on the point that I was, I was going to make it, and you gave me the perfect intro. You said probably. He's probably regressed. And that's my biggest problem with this. We haven't seen, not counting his little brief 
appearance at the end of Force Awakens. We have not seen Luke Skywalker on the big screen since Return of the Jedi after watching this amazing character growth that you just pointed out. And the first thing you see him do is flip a lightsaber like, ah, whatever, walk by this girl, has no idea who she is, and then only to a couple minutes later be like, who are you? What's Oh, wait, Chewie's here? Oh, wait, what? Where's Han? Oh. And so what we were getting to before, that's when he says, where's Han? And you see the look on his face. He can already tell. Right. So it, it, it just felt disjointed to me that he didn't start with the questions. I don't like when people, you know, and we've seen this in lots of movies, you know, like Men in Black International did the whole, ah, questions later, questions later. Just follow me right now first. You get your questions answered later. And that is just false drama to me. You know, it's 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 building a moment that wouldn't really exist in, in real life. I don't think Luke Skywalker... <laughs> sounds stupid because he's not even real. I don't think Luke Skywalker really <laughs> would have done that. Okay. Okay. Um, and I I don't necessarily disagree that the Luke Skywalker we saw in four, five and six and then read about in all those books that are no longer Canon. I don't, I I agree that he probably wouldn't have done that, but I understand the motivation as to why he did it after seeing the whole movie and then being able to see it again and again and again. No, I I get it. And that's why it works for me. It works for me because, you know, I, I didn't just watch it once, you know, it works for me because I can see it again and I can see He's, he's stuck in a trope in movies, which is the sins of the past define your character rather than the future and what you do with yourself can define your character. He's stuck there, but I, I like that he's stuck there and I like how it informs everything that happens for Luke and his arc in The Last Jedi. And I can see that for the movie itself, but I just, I don't like that. Again, um, and we've talked about it in other movies where you we at least get to see a flashback in this one as to what finally mm-hmm. happened between him and Ben and everything. We don't just get told it to us, but it still is only one step above having it getting told to us. We we get this this story in disjointed, you know, one perspective, another perspective, which sort of works with the Star Wars theme, you know, truth from a certain point of view. But right. Ultimately, I I don't like, and that's just the problem with these movies set so far after and then taking us in these different directions rather than putting, you know, our three heroes together right away in the first film and then either killing them all off or disbanding them or doing something with them, you know, so you can move into the new era, the new legacy of Star Wars. But it's such a huge gap of time. and And then... Even the backstory that we're sort of presented with in The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi is now set to have to pick that up and run with it. And, right. you know, I don't I don't know why they would have had J.J. disappear for one film, come back for the last film, and then be like, oh, well, Ryan Johnson's Last Jedi, why did he do some of these things? Oh, J.J. Abrams well, had to fix these things. Well, why, JJ, did you, you know, why did you even get rid of it? The director midstream. Well, because they were always supposed to have three different directors. And, and, you know, we'll talk about it when we get to Rise of Skywalker. 
that story pulled from The Last Jedi and went in such a wonderful direction. And I wish we would have gotten that movie instead of the movie we got at Rise of Skywalker because J.J. made a fan service film with The Force Awakens. He remade A New Hope, but made it glitzy and fun and exciting for a new generation. And Ryan Johnson came in with this perspective that this franchise has been the same now and it needs to move in a new direction. And that's what The Last Jedi did, is it truly moved the the Jedi and the franchise of Star Wars in a whole different direction. And I just wish they would have kept going with it because it had the potential to end with episode nine in, in such an amazing place. But we didn't get that. We had a very divisive film that many people hated and probably far less people hated it than loved it because it still has like a 7.9% rating on IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes. It's it's Rotten Tomatoes, I think is pretty low, but Rotten Tomatoes is terrible anyway. So the actual rating of the film is like a 7.9, which is, is good. It's really good. And I, I just think that the, the minority was so vocal that they had to change course and fire the other director and bring JJ back to clean up what Lucasfilm saw and Disney saw as a mess. Yeah, I just think it was a mistake from the beginning to take such a precious franchise and squirrel it off to three different directors and what, three different writers then too? I mean, how many people had a hand yeah, in the? Yeah. So you you don't you don't get in you don't get even characters that way, right? Each director was writing their own film, and Ryan Johnson wrote this one. And um, what this film says about failure and how we we have to overcome failure and how we we have to fail to learn really hits home with me. And I love I love that motif, and I love how every character except for Finn grew in this film. Finn is the only one, and we'll talk about it as we get deeper into the film, but he's the only character that I don't think really grew and don't like the way he went. But How come Luke didn't just hear the Millennium Falcon land on this tiny little island? <laughs> well, you know, when you shut yourself off from the Force, you also close your ears. Mm. So... Chewie. Yeah, no, that's a good that's a good Chewie, point. what know. are you doing here? I mean, I heard the Falcon and could have assumed it was either you or Han or maybe Leia. But I'm mm-hmm. still surprised. He's just a crotchety old guy. So let's let's move forward a little bit because we're we're getting stuck on Octo. So we we see Snoke really give Kylo a tongue lashing. Ben Solo a tongue lashing. He he tells him that he could have been the next iteration of Darth Vader, but he's just a whiny, petulant child in a mask. And that makes Kylo freak out. And you can start to see what's being, you know, the seeds that are being laid that this apprentice will eventually destroy his master. And that he's so full of anger and hate and dark, you know, the dark side that he wants to destroy everyone. But there's still a little bit of good left in him because when he has the opportunity to kill his mother, he takes his finger off the trigger. So how did you feel about that? Because a lot of people said he went bad when he killed Han Solo. He should have just gone all bad and killed his mother. But other people think that 
showing that shows the weakness in the dark side and not that he should be redeemed, but he shouldn't necessarily be just a straight out villain. Well, here's where it's hard though, because I didn't like what they did in the force awakens in the first place. And I didn't mind. Same I here. didn't mind that Han died. That's fine. But the guy who killed him, yeah, to now, oh, man, I, I'm not going to kill my mom, too. You know, it's like, what, what's what's the deal? I still don't understand the relationship with Snoke, that Snoke was able to give him this big tongue lashing. But who is he? How did he even get a hold of, you know, what was Ben sneaking out in the middle of the night from the Jedi Temple? And, I mean, just none of it made sense to me. So for him to not pull the trigger on Leia, I guess, I don't know. It's just so, so much of it is disjointed that one decision, like I said with Luke, to me, the decision to toss the lightsaber, just that doesn't make sense in the context of really this guy, just somebody landed on his planet, handed him a lightsaber that he lost 30 some years ago and he just doesn't care at all i mean that's just not how people really act mm-hmm. and and and, sure. and in you know any i can i'll listen to counterpoint and that's fine it's just that's that's just not how things so so for kylo ren to have like not pulled the trigger i don't know he just we didn't see any real remorse that he even killed Han Solo. If, if I would have seen even a sense of, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Ah, maybe I'm in this too deep, but mm-hmm. no. Yeah. I, so here's my, my opinion on it. I, I see what Ryan is going for and I am a big fan of Ryan Johnson outside of the last Jedi. I see what he's going for in that, Ben momentarily feels the connection of the force with his mother, which he never had a connection in the force with his father, but he feels a connection in the force with his mother. And the whole point that Ryan Johnson is trying to get to and is hoping is going to get the circle will be completed in episode nine, which never happens is this idea of a place between light and dark, a place where Jedi or Sith don't really exist. It's just a place where a force user can tell right from wrong and does the right thing. You know, that's that's what Ryan was going for. This whole gray Jedi idea that's out in the universe that never got followed through with. I guess you can have it two ways, and JJ in episode nine chose a third way that that shouldn't have existed. You can either have Ben going full dark side, he killed his father, he's now embracing the teachings of uh, Snoke and he is going to become the Sith Lord he was meant to be, Darth Vader's heir. Or you can have him recognize that maybe he doesn't have to go full dark and maybe there's another way to bring the galaxy together and not kill your mother and try to come up with a, a different way, which if we we move forward in the movie, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but he tries to do that with Rey after they defeat Snoke. He tries to tell her, we can rule the galaxy, but in a way that 
no no jedi no sith no resistance no first order it it's just us let the past die kill it if you have to right that's his line and i i believe that if the movies progressed in the way that they were supposed to originally if the fans didn't go crazy over this movie it would have paid off in such a tremendous way and that's why i think it's okay that he didn't pull the trigger in this film if i were to compare this film with what we got in rise of skywalker he should have pulled the trigger because he should have gone completely dark until those last moments in rise of skywalker which we'll talk about when we get there i don't agree with that either but well you bring up some of the the, the force having a light side and a dark side worked for the original trilogy because those were the times we lived in good guys, bad guys, light side, dark side. Good. That's it. That's, that's where we're at. But because of the internet, because of Comic-Con, because of just more people getting involved in this, because of comic books evolving and being more real and really reflecting human people, human emotions, and not just being fun, goofy little things that kids occupied their time with because adults got involved with it. <laughs> well, no, and that's fine. That's great. I'm one yeah. of them. But, mm-hmm. you know, we're doing a podcast that's basically, you know, the overanalyzing of, of you know, this kind of stuff, which is great. But the the force as a thing, there is no light side or dark side of it. And they explore this in the novels, which are no longer canon. But the concept that the force is, you know, like Obi-Wan explains, it's what gives the Jedi its power. It's just this, it's a force that's out there and you can control it. Some people can. I, I think it's the people who are either good or bad. The force isn't good or bad. Just like a gun isn't good or bad, it's who's wielding the gun. It's who's wielding the lightsaber. So when we start down the dark side, light side path, I, I, the force itself is is gray. Like you said, it's there. It's not that there's a a grayness to light and dark. It's just the force itself is gray. It's a it's a thing to be controlled. The point, though, is they were really going to explore that, and they didn't get the chance to, and that's why I think him not pulling the trigger would have worked if they explored it, but it doesn't work since they didn't explore it. That's where I stand with it. Well, skipping ahead to where you skipped ahead, and then we can retreat back from it, but I really wished Ray would have taken Kylo Ren's hand. I mean, if Ryan Johnson really did want to be daring... That's when it should have happened. They should have went off together. And then we could have explored this grayness in the force. Because what else choice would you have had then for Rise of Skywalker if Ben and Ray took off together? Yeah, you're, you're, you're 100% right. The problem is that Ben didn't believe... The way Ryan Johnson set it up, is that Ben wanted to believe it, but he didn't believe it. He still was too too dark, right? He still wanted to kill he wanted to kill everyone. It wasn't just let's let's kill the resistance. He was going to decimate both sides to start over. And that's what Ray couldn't get behind. 
she didn't want to kill anybody. She wanted to bring peace. And I think that's where the difference is and why she couldn't take his hand. Now, if, if Ryan Johnson would have made Ben say, let's let's let the past die, but let's not kill it. <laughs> let's just move on from here. Then yeah, she should have taken his hand, but he was, he was going to, you know, we've talked in other episodes about movies playing light with genocide and um, that's what Kylo would have done. Well, not looking at it from the character point of view, but from Ryan's point of view, as the writer, as the guy who had control over all of this, he could have just lightened that part up and, sure. and they still could have, she could have taken his hand and he didn't have to destroy everybody. You know, if she would have said, you know, call them off, tell them to stop. And he could have said something like Yoda-esque and whatever, and like, let them do what they're going to do. And he could have still got out of there with her, with her thinking, I need to go with him to learn more about the Force, and uh, they're going to have to fight this out themselves. Not that they're going to certain doom, hmm. you know? It's an interesting thought. I I haven't like thought about like that. like it just they're they're just departing. She's not mm-hmm. saying, "Oh yeah, just let them all die." He's not saying, "I'm going to kill them all." They're just saying, "Yeah, this is your fight now." Almost almost like not that they've ever specifically said this about Jedi, but almost like some sort of like uh omniscient like god types, right? We have this force thing. We have this thing we have to go deal with now. Let the mortals do their mortal stuff. I think you could have done that. And I think that would have been the big swing that Ryan Johnson really would have needed to take. Because seriously, in that moment, I wanted her so badly to take his hand, not to be evil, but to go off and start this whole other departure Mm-hmm. But yeah. but they didn't, and then you just end up with same old movie stuff. <laughs> what we got? Yeah, yep. yeah. So let's take a step back because there's some other notable elements. We get the Rose character, and Finn wakes up, and like I said before, Finn is a character that I don't really believe in or or like his arc in the film. I I do like that Ryan Johnson committed everybody to failure. Right, this whole film was about how every single person failed somewhere along the way. And so Finn and Rose go off on their adventure and they do everything right. And they get to where they need to get to, to save the resistance. But at the last moment they fail. But Finn, if Finn doesn't seem to grow in any of it, because still at the very end, he's trying to fly his speeder right into the, the death star tech only thinking about himself, not thinking about the greater good, not thinking about the resistance. He's doing it because the First Order wronged him. And so I, th- I just don't like where he ended up through the whole film. Uh, you know, first he's trying to get away, steal an escape pod to go find Rey. And then he's on this awful trip to Canto Bite. The one part of the movie that I absolutely hate is the all the time that they spend on Canto Bite with the fathers and... You know, I understand they're trying to explore Rose's backstory and why she hates places like that. And she grew up in a place like that, that the First Order used to, you know, create more weapons. But it's just, it's, it's, 
the filler 30 minutes of the movie that I didn't need. Mm -hmm. And so none of it, even meeting DJ and getting um, Benicio Del Toro to play a fun character, I just didn't need any of it. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they failed, they could have snuck onto the ship rather than having to go get some master code breaker. They could have just snuck onto the ship with somebody that's in the resistance that knows how to do it. Mm -hmm. Or they could have known how to do it. Or Finn could have said, I used to work there. And, uh, you know, whatever they could have figured well, out. Well, we didn't know who Rose was. Let Rose be right. the one who knows how to do that. Right. Right. Yeah. I liked Rose, though. I liked everything she brought to the table. Kelly Marie Tran, I think, did a really good job with what was given to her. But she had to play off of Finn who I really liked in Force Awakens, and they just took him in such like a weird direction. Did they take him in a weird direction? He just, they didn't really take him anywhere. They didn't take him anywhere. True, true. They didn't take him anywhere. Canto Bite? Was that necessary? Oh, I don't know. I don't think it's necessary. It is truly a plot device to move two characters, really three characters, because BB-8 is there, um, to move three characters along and show how their best laid plans can come undone. And, and you can prepare and prepare and do all this work to only fail, but it was way too long and took you, as a, as a moviegoer, way out on a side quest that didn't need to happen. Exactly. And you brought that up at the very beginning of this podcast when you said there's a lot of lesson of failure in here. Mm -hmm. And and I will say I did like that theme throughout. And I did like all the effort that went into going to Cantobite and finding the master hacker and then actually getting on the Imperial ship and actually completing the mission, like up to the like the second of actually completing it. And then getting caught. And it's like, oh, we didn't pull it off, guys. Sorry. That, I thought, was super unique for the most part. You don't see something so large and convoluted like that not work. Right. We're used to it always working. Exactly. We're used to it always working. Or if it doesn't work, it's because another good guy swoops in at the last second and makes it work that you weren't expecting. And there's your little twist on it. Right. Or, or some something along those lines. So yeah, to watch something and you'd hit it right on the head. So long though, and and again, what a messy. They have to talk to Maz, and she says, "Oh, look for the master hacker. He always wears the purple lapel thing." And it's like, what? <laughs> Are you serious? He always wears it. Yep. Like. I mean, I forget my cell phone once in a while. This guy <laughs> always pins this thing. Why? <laughs> well, didn't you Why? see him when we finally saw him? He he's got he's suave. I mean, that's his signature. He's got his streak of white hair and his right, red right, le right, fleur. Yeah. But then what luck? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> they get put in a cell with another master hacker who wasn't the hacker they were after. Mm -hmm. Now come on. I mean, I'm going to quote Han Solo again. That's not how the Force works. <laughs> That's plot convenience theater. It sure was. It sure was. Benicio Del Toro did everything he could with the character, but yeah, he didn't need to be there. You, he didn't you need mentioned to be. earlier that Kelly Marie Tran's character should have been the one able to do that. 
she should have been mm-hmm. like she's an engineer already she should have somehow for also plot convenience but she should have been the one that understood how to break the code and that would have streamlined this whole sequence we didn't need to see Maz again i know that she was shoehorned in the movie because ryan johnson was trying to keep a thread going with Maz because jj abrams created such, such mystery around the character that right. ryan didn't want to complete her arc but he wanted to make sure we didn't forget Maz existed so that whatever came next could have completed her arc which didn't happen but he he just wanted to make sure that we still knew Maz was around in the universe and in the galaxy and we we'll, we'll get back to her and you know what that's funny that you say that because again that felt like such a shoehorn scene <laughs> if you think back to the original trilogy Um, before all the special editions in star wars han just says oh i owe money to jabba the hut this will save my neck with jabba the hut he has the encounter with greedo in empire strikes back it's briefly mentioned at the beginning ah that bounty hunter we ran into in ord mandel changed my mind and then the commander says a death mark isn't an easy thing to live with han says if i don't pay off jabba the hut i'm a dead man we didn't have to see a hollow vid of Jabba going, right. Han, I'm coming for you. <laughs> and and it seems like that's, is that a difference in modern cinema that people think audiences just are not paying enough attention? Or do we have to hammer things home that hard to sell action figures that people couldn't just get a line and go like, oh yeah, that's right. That he, she's still a character. And then she showed up in three and then you, oh, there she is again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's I, like I overwriting. Think, I think it. that's it's what just, it is, though. It's modern movie audiences aren't as smart as we were back in the eighties. <laughs> I do think that's part of it. I think maybe maybe not as smart isn't the right thing to say, but our attention spans are a lot shorter, and the internet picks apart every piece of a film. So if Maz wasn't in this movie, there would have been too many questions on the internet as to well, why wasn't Maz here? What's Maz's deal? She said it was a story for another time, and we haven't gotten the story here. At least Ryan showed Maz so that we know she's still there, and the story <laughs> will continue. And then JJ just comes in and completely fumbles it in the third one. Here's Maz again, not telling us where the lightsaber came from. Yeah. <laughs> Remember her kids? She still doesn't have answers. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I I think that the whole sequence with Maz and then the whole Canto Bite sequence should have been cut and they should have done something a little bit different that would have taken a little less time. We still could have been connected to Finn and Rose um, through their conversations or through their, their mission. And it would have tightened the movie up and just, you know, made, made it uh, it's still about failure, but you can you can narrow into these two characters rather than bringing in another one who double crosses or triple crosses or you know however many crosses he does sure and sure is teaching them a lesson about the war and about how profiteers play both sides of of any war mm-hmm. but do we necessarily need that in star wars i i don't know i don't think so it brought in another theme that just yeah just didn't need to be there I will say, though, I really enjoyed his character, and I was hoping that for some reason he would have stumbled his way through even like the beginning scene of uh, um, Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. I thought that would have been great if they would have been like that little mission they were on with the Falcon to get that informa- information about the spy. And 
if there would have been something and all of a sudden a door opens and it's him and they're like, Finn is like you. And he's mm-hmm. like, Hey, no hard feelings. I just do what I got to do to get through. And today is your lucky day. Cause I need to help you. And the yeah, gap could, that would have been great. That could have completed the lesson that he tried to teach them in the beginning. Sometimes they blow you up. Sometimes they, or you blow them up. You they blow, blow them up. up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That could have been perfect. That would have at least brought that around. Why couldn't JJ, you know, hey, you cram Maz into your movie. I'll cram the initial Del Toro into my movie. There, yeah, we're well, even. We'll, we'll talk more about why JJ wouldn't do something like that when we get to Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but still, I'm, I'm just saying, I really did enjoy his character. I wish there would have been a better way to I write did him in instead mm-hmm. of the whole weird Canto bite and just getting lucky to find another exact guy of what you were looking for in the other guy on the same planet what are the odds that both master code breakers are hanging out on the same planet <laughs> yeah unless they were supposed to be there for the master code breaker convention did i miss a sign when they walked into the casino <laughs> welcome to the I think it was there. it's really small are you here for the convention yeah. registration to the left <laughs> casino to the right i mean yep <laughs> i just don't yep. i just yep. don't get it yeah, I I don't disagree. So let's switch gears here for a second. Poe gets demoted based on what he did at the beginning of the film because he didn't listen to Leia and they lost their entire bombing fleet because of his brash decision to take out that one um, destroyer or whatever it was called. Uh, dreadnought. Dreadnought, to take out the Dreadnought. And, you know, then Leia, like we're getting back to the the part we were at before, Leia gets shot out of the the ship into space. Once again, a lot of people hated this, that she used the Force to protect herself and fly. Flying Leia went back into the ship, little Mary Poppins action. I hated that she um, did it in the worst CGI I've seen yes. since Shia LaBeouf swang with the monkeys. <laughs> That's where I was just going to go with it. I had no problem with her protecting herself in the force. You could see that she took that breath and closed her eyes right before it happened, which makes sense as to she was using some force ability that we haven't yet seen. Mm -hmm. I thought that was fine. It just looked terrible. Yeah. And we lost Admiral Akbar in that scene without any fanfare. Yeah, that's that was the worst part of it. Why even cram him into it just to kill him off in the background, you know? Yeah, so sad. So sad. What a great character. And he'll have one of the best lines in movie history. And we just lost him like that. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. When, when Leia started doing that and, and, and again, I don't mind that she had a force power that we've never seen and that's fine. And I, I go for all of that. I, I, and I said, the CGI was the worst part of it, but I heard, I heard Han Solo say, that's not how the force works. I couldn't help but hear that in the back of my head, <laughs> you know, right. Even though I'll allow that it's the force, maybe, you know, that's not great CGI. That might've been what he growled from beyond mm-hmm. the grave. <laughs> right. So she comes back in, but she's used the force and it's really affected her. And so now she's out of commission in a coma. So they give us a new character, Admiral Holdo, who is played by the wonderful Laura Dern. I know there, she's a very divisive character, um, much like everything in this film, but I really liked what Laura Dern did with Admiral Holdo, and I like how Ryan Johnson 
created her character to be that gray that we've been been seeing throughout the film. So in in my opinion, we have Poe who's brash and young and defies the orders of his commander. And when Holdo's put in charge, she has to take a different stance. And it's different than what we've seen in Star Wars to this point. Because she's very reserved, she's very calm, she's a tactician, and she's living in that gray that Ryan Johnson is is showing us throughout this the making of this movie. Now, I might be able to get on board with you about the character he was trying to create with Holdo. I just have a problem with Laura Dern and her as an actress being in that role in the first place. Thought her performance was very wooden and she didn't really bring anything exciting. First of all, as a Star Wars, I don't know, am I a Star Wars purist? I can't be a purist <laughs> because I like some of the stuff that they've done with, with the new movies. So I'm not really a purist as much as there were so many other generals and commanders they could have put in that role. Like Akbar, for example, could have stepped up and you could have given him a little bit more. We already saw he was a brilliant tactician and commander in the Battle of Endor. You could have given him some of that and that would have brought something different to that role. And if the thought process was, well, this is for a newer generation, if a newer generation is watching this, they don't know who Admiral Akbar is in the first place. So he's still new to them anyway, right? Hmm. When you're well, when your daughter watches this, you're going like, "Oh, there's Admiral Akbar in the background. Oh, Han Solo, <laughs> he did some awesome stuff." But it's brand new for her, right? So I think they missed a chance to use an established character. They could have brought Mon Mothma and had her step into that role as they kind of did in Rogue One. And then you've got a tie for younger generation who's going, oh, Mon Mothma, she was way back when Star Wars started. Oh, my gosh. And she's still around. Like, I don't think you could have used the same actress. She might have been a little too old at this point. Sure. I believe she's still alive. But she might not have been the perfect choice. But but the same way they got a younger her for Rogue One, they could have got an older her for The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. I just feel like they're opening up the Star Wars universe and we've gone for so long only focusing on these primary main characters in the resistance or the rebellion or whatever you want to call it. You know, at this point, it's now the resistance. We have learned who Leia is and we know now know who Poe is and Finn is and Rey is, but and we know Akbar from the rebellion, but we don't really know too many characters from the resistance. And so I, I like that they bring in Holdo as this truly only resistance admiral. She's someone who has risen to power in this second wave of fighting the, the first order, you know, the, fighting the bad guys. And she is this wonderfully muted, smart, intelligent character I, I I don't know. I don't know how, how else to explain it. Well, she bring, just No, you so I get your point. I and you know what? I like that. You're right. We don't know the resistance. We know the quote rebellion. So sure. 
treating them as two different factions, even though I think maybe in my mind, I've always just seen it all as just one rebellion since I've always felt like having a resistance and a rebellion and a Senate and a government and a this and a that always seemed really clunky to me. Like I was even confused through most of the Force Awakens trying to figure out like, wait a minute, there's a legitimate government and a resistance and there used to be a rebellion. Why do you need a resistance if you have a government? Who are they resisting? Well, they're resisting the Imperial army who's trying to take over. Well, then that's not a resistance. That's just your army. That's trying to stop the bad guys. Like, I don't get, like, their nomenclature as a company, their nomenclature is very confusing. Right. You know, they need to streamline their, their, <laughs> they need to streamline like Amazon here, you know, get their divisions in a row. I understand what Amazon does. I don't get why you've got a resistance fighting the bad guys. That's just, but you wonderfully muted. That's an interesting way to describe Holdo because Again, going back to the actress and not necessarily what they were trying to create with the role, uh, I, I just think Laura Dern was so flat that purple hair was insane. And mm -hmm. to me, it felt like, look, this is how I'm weird and spacey. I've got purple <laughs> hair. This is how I'm different and unique. And you know what? It, it literally was not until a few weeks ago when we were talking about doing the last jedi that i that i did think about holdo and i never knew why that purple hair didn't sit right and now i've got a theory why as soon as i saw her in purple hair i didn't say it then but now i can finally articulate why didn't we get a more ethnically diverse actress in that role instead of just taking a white Laura Dern and making her have purple hair. Mm -hmm. Why couldn't we have put like a Sandra O oh or, or Lucy Lou, Tracy Ellis Ross, that yeah. would have brought yeah. a diversity and a uniqueness to that role instead of just taking Laura Dern and giving her purple hair. <laughs> and, and okay. like, seriously, that ex that exact thought went through my head as soon as she stepped on screen, but I wasn't able in my own head to even articulate why purple hair wasn't sitting right with me. It's like, no, we've already been going very diverse with all the characters. Don't, don't just give somebody purple hair and be like, well, we had a purple haired person. Mm -hmm. That's not diversity yeah. to me. Right. Right. And they're supposed to be showing diversity of different worlds and different planets and humanoids, but you're right. I, I agree mean, with you there. And purple hair is so flat out of anything they could have done. Give her like gills on her cheeks <laughs> or like some kind of weird, at least, you know, screwed up nose or big cross-eyed eyes or just something. <laughs> but just to put purple hair, that's like your mom going through the closet the day before Halloween saying, you're going as Admiral Holdo. I found a purple wig from my 80s clubbing days. Admiral Holdo, can't I get a real costume, Mom? No, Admiral Holdo is a real costume. It's purple hair. You look completely different. The kids are going to love it. Thanks, okay. Mom. Okay, okay. I, I see your point, and I, <laughs> now that you say it, I agree. Did I, I twist think, that knife hard enough? No, no, I, I think you're right. I think that's 
what the character's missing is that they tried to make it diverse from the other characters in the Star Wars universe, the other humanoids, but they didn't go far enough. They just gave her a different hair color that's probably pretty natural on her planet, but we've never seen somebody from that planet before. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. It's an interesting way to to look at it. Yeah. Even paint her skin. Because like from the comic books, there's this whole race of aliens uh, from the 80s comic books called the, the Zeltrons. I might be saying that wrong. That's how I always said it to myself as a kid when I'd read the word. But uh, <laughs> they were these uh, bluish-skinned aliens with uh, – some of them have like pink hair or red hair. And they were uh, kind of a happy-go-lucky uh, – very touchy-feely kind of race of aliens and the women were a little more conniving and street smart where the guys were more like surfer dudes and um it created something unique at least on a comic book page that you have all these other characters in normal skin tone and then all of a sudden boom here's a blue character so that even even skin color you know even if you wanted to use laura dern but put purple or blue and at least that pops that's that's mm-hmm. a that's a unique alien race, not just somebody with purple hair. Sure. I I get you. I get you. And I I think you're swaying me to your way of thinking about how she looks, but I'm still going to say that I like the way that even though you might think Laura Dern was acting flat, I think that that was the purpose of the character to try to bring a balance to the way that Poe acts versus the way that Leia acts versus the way that the First Order acts. Um, I think that it just shows that she is a true wartime admiral and she has a purpose. She knows what her rank is and she's, you know, moving forward with that in mind and that in mind only, you know, and I don't want to jump around too much, but going to what people call the Holdo maneuver, I think is just a great play for this character to come in. We meet her, we see, she doesn't really have an arc. Because she's a new character, she just has a point A to point B uh, straight line that we see. And I just, I like that she sacrifices herself with this amazing maneuver that I don't know if we've just never thought of before, or we've just kind of, it's been in our heads and we just never really wanted to think about it. But blasting your ship at light speed into another ship when you know there's no way to get out, I mean, that's just... It's smart, and it decimates the First Order's flagship. It really creates that anarchy within the First Order that they didn't have going into the final movie. Sure. It was cool. <laughs> it looked super <laughs> cool on the screen. I will say that. This, again, there were a lot of moments that I, in, I enjoyed, and, and that was one of them, especially the way the whole everything went quiet mm-hmm. because, you know, there wouldn't have been an explosion, you know, there would have been no noise in space. You know, there would have been noise inside the ships of the ship itself exploding within itself, but in space, there would have been nothing. It would have been completely silent. So that was a really, really cool visual. Mm -hmm. And the way it just lit up, like not just the ship that it hit, but it kind of made that wave and went, that was that was very, very cool to look at. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. It, it, it maybe defies the logic of Star Wars that we've seen to this point, because you can always hear what's going on in space in the movies, but you just have to think about it. You're from a 
person's sure. point of view inside a ship. But this was a great pullback widescreen view of what it would be like in actual space. And that's, I think it was beautiful uh, and masterfully done. Well, you could Something, have also I mean, so, left, oh, you could have also left C-3PO or a droid behind to do that exact same thing. But I don't know if we need to go down that road. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's uh, just the, the characters point A to point B. Yeah. I, I mean, she does say the line when she's on the ship. She kind of says to herself, they're not going to make it. And then she turns the ship, which I think if I'm being a little too cynical, that was the director's way of saying, oh, everybody's going to think, why didn't they have a droid do it? Because she didn't get the idea until later. But then if she didn't get that idea until later, why did she even need to stay on the ship? Because the ship would have just kept shipping along and she could have escaped. So, uh, that's well, it. It was a it was a maneuver to distract, right? So they they turn the ship towards the first order while the other small pods are escaping. She's trying to keep the attention on on her ship, but she didn't do that until she actually says they're not going to make it. Until mm, that point, that's her true. only role was to just stay on the ship for some BS reason. Right? She didn't. She didn't have to do it. She didn't get that idea. And that's why I think if she would have said, I'm going to turn this thing around and send it light speed, then you'd be like, well, why don't you have a droid do it? Like we yeah. care about droids, but you could have had like an R2 unit that we never met before come rolling on in here. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Make a, make a good point. And that's just where this movie is just very messy with, with script and stuff. Speaking of messy, we haven't even mentioned the green milk mustache. But I digress. We go back to Octo with Ray, and Luke does say he'll teach her. And so what did you think about, because it got a little jokey, right? Luke brought her up outside of the temple and sat her on that rock yeah. and told her to reach out for the forest and clear her mind and played with the feather on her hands. What did you think of that? I laughed, but then I was like, that's dumb. <laughs> Mm, yeah okay. I, I i did i laughed i got it i understood that i just would not have made that choice myself considering where we started with the and the throw yeah. th that set the tone for everything else that happened and the guy who's so gruff and doesn't even like say what's your name why are you here? Who are you? Is now going to get out, you know, the magic feather Dumbo and start tickling her hand. <laughs> and, you know, ha ha ha. That's the, do you, do you feel it? Do you feel the force? Do you feel it? You know, mm -hmm. because, because that, yeah. that joke too would have been better if she would have been like, if he would have been making fun of her approach to it, but that was literally just lesson one. Sure. She wasn't like, oh, this is the force. This is the force. This is, and he goes, hang on, let me show you for it. And then, ha, gotcha. See, you're being dumb. It's like he just did that on his own with no no preface to the humor, which which just didn't work. But again, in the moment, I laughed and I went, ha, ha, that's funny. In a different movie with better context, that's hilarious. <laughs> 
I took that as a very Yoda way to teach somebody because his teacher was Yoda. So that, that just reminded me of something Yoda would have done to mess around with Luke. So that's why I, I liked it and I, I, it worked for me because who else taught Luke? Nobody else taught Luke. You know, he, he got a couple lessons from Obi-Wan, but, but they were more mindful lessons than actual, like, real lessons in the Force. So it just, it hit with me as something Yoda would have done. Speaking of his lessons, he told her he was going to teach her three things. I only remember two. Well, yeah, he didn't, he didn't get to teach her the third. She left before he could teach her the third, the third thing. And they never tell us, I I think it's like in a deleted scene somewhere, or they've talked about it on, you know, other, other introspectives to the movie. But there is something out there that says what the third lesson was going to be, and they just never got to it because she left. I've I've got some theories on the third lesson. Um, mm-hmm. It was either uh, got your nose, or it was pull my finger, <laughs> or he pulls a coin from behind <laughs> her ear and goes, ha ha, there's the force, it's a moneymaker scheme. And then he flicks it at her and says, go play some arcade, kid. <laughs> <laughs> Considering his first lesson was a magic fetter, then uh, I think I think that's what we would have seen. All right, Ray, are you ready? Sure. I got your nose. Or he was going to do the thing where he makes it look like he's pulling his thumb off, and she'd be like, "What? Ah, that's not the force." If Ryan if Ryan Johnson were here, he'd be quoting Buzz Lightyear. You're mocking me, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I like their fight. Yeah, that, their fight when they fight. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah, it was good. I like when he goes charging in to burn all the Jedi texts. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Again, it does if you're on one train of thought, but it seemed, you know, like your impetuous young Luke Skywalker point of view. But on the other end, it's like, are you really going to start a bonfire on your tiny island? (laughs) what happens if you get your whole island on fire you're gonna have to use the force again pretty quick Mm -hmm. anyway Mm. i like that yoda showed up i like a lot of the movie like i like it in that it entertained me but i don't like it from a writer's point of view let's let's get to the sequence that at least for me lifted me up yeah this this next scene that we'll talk about really redeemed a lot of some of these failures that I feel with the movie and made it, you know, one of my all time favorite sequences of a star Wars film. And that's the, the new throne room scene. So yes. Ray leaves Luke and travels to help her friends. And she goes just to pretty much get captured. She, she, she jumps out of an escape pod from the Falcon and, you know, in a really cool sequence where they light speed in, she drops, they light speed out, Chewie light speeds out. That's, I think that's pretty cool. She uses the escape pod to fly into Snoke's ship and be immediately captured by Kylo. And her whole plan is to try to bring out the good in Kylo. Ky- Kylo brings her to Snoke, where he, Snoke just starts laying into Kylo and telling her that she's going to lose and basically pulling another emperor from Jedi. The whole trick of watch your friends out there. Um, mm-hmm. you, you can't do anything to save them. And we're supposed to feel 
like this is a dire moment that the the resistance truly is going to be wiped out and Ray is either going to die or she's going to narrowly get away. Mm-hmm. And what happens instead of Ray turning Kylo like Luke turned Vader, Snoke and his just railing on Kylo makes Kylo turn, makes Ben turn, I should say at this point. And in just such a, in my opinion, a brilliant written, directed, and acted sequence. And even by Andy Serkis, who is all motion capture for Snoke, the performance, the voice that he uses, the the way that they CGI Snoke's face, and you can just see Andy Serkis's face, you know, in a mocap suit, making those same motions with his eyebrows and his mouth. It's mm-hmm. just, I think it, the whole sequence is just masterfully created yeah completely agree i love everything about that throne room scene i even love all of kylo ren's dialogue where he's like let it die the jedi Mm -hmm. the sith all of it as i've mentioned before what i just didn't like was that she didn't take his hand i just but the setup to it before that was yes and gosh i'm not gonna keep harping on laura dern but Andy Circus in a Mo capture suit had more emotion than General Holdo <laughs> did in her entire actually on screen performance. I'm sorry. I I I like Laura Dern, but just not in that role. I'm sure. sorry. If Laura, if you're listening to this, just we'll talk <laughs> later. We'll talk later. Yeah. But uh yeah. but no, you're right. It, that everything about it popped and I liked see some people we're not happy with the force awakens because they're like, ah, they just rewrote star Wars. They just rebooted star Wars. It's the same formula. It's the same thing. And yeah, I didn't like that. A lot of it was too close to the same in that, but this is where I did like the twist on the throne room scene from Jedi in this film, because it just, it, it, it was different characters doing different things, even though similar characters doing the same things but it just could have been capped beautifully because think about return of the Jedi, right? What if Vader had that whole scene with Luke where he's like, when they, before they went to see the emperor and he's like, join me now, let's go. Like he Mm -hmm. already offered him once on Bespin. And now here he is again, Luke has clearly accepted the fact that, you know, he's his father or was the man that was his father. And now he's clearly grown as a Jedi. He's a little smarter. He's more savvy. He accepts that he's got to have this confrontation. And Vader's like, one last try. Oh, come on, man. You get it now. So could you imagine, like, what would have happened if if Vader and Luke would have, like, Luke would have just all of a sudden got a gleam in his eye and you think he's going to cut Vader in half and all of a sudden he gives Vader his lightsaber and he's like, let's go dad. And they yeah. like go in on the emperor. That would have been insane. <laughs> and, and there mm-hmm. is actually some elsewhere's else worlds comics out there. Um, it's actually uh, Marvel. What ifs. And uh, there are a couple of alternate endings to the return of the Jedi and empire strikes back that show different things that could have happened um, if other events in the universe would have transpired. And one of them is Vader uh, kind of helping out in that uh, in that throne room scene rather than just uh, as it went down in Jedi. So, But back to Last Jedi, that just would have made that film for me because then I would have been like, wow, I have no idea what's going to happen now. But as soon as they parted ways and I'm like, oh, well, we're just going to watch some sort of 
redemption arc later, which we got <laughs> sort of. Yep, we we did in a, in a way. I I thought I left the film though thinking that Kylo was was gone. He would never come back. The way Ryan Johnson filmed this sequence, they they come together to fight their common enemy, someone who has forced Kylo into this other life that he didn't really want. Mm-hmm. And Ray, this enemy, this unseen enemy to this point that she knows is just trying to destroy the good in the galaxy. They come together and the the fight with the guard is just mind blowing. Um and but then when they're talking to each other and the Ray realizes that Kylo is never going to come back to a place where good or even the the middle ground should win <laughs> when he's still talking about wiping everything out and starting over she knows that he's he's irredeemable the when they both try to take that lightsaber and just the sequence where two extremely strong force users are trying to pull something between each other and like it's just i i think it's just beautiful they're they're both so strong that the lightsaber splits in half and explodes the kyber crystal explodes which we don't really ever see get resolved but <laughs> it's beautiful to think that this this beacon of hope which is Luke Skywalker's lightsaber and this this power that we've known for all of these films as this blue beautiful blue lightsaber that that just speaks to the good is now torn in half i i think it's just a wonderful wonderful allegory to this whole film that we we can't, we can't have nice things, right? There's there's good and there's bad, and we're trying to somehow. Ryan Johnson is trying to show us that there can be a middle ground that still leans on the good, but this gray can make decisions that's that doesn't hurt anyone, that still just helps the galaxy, but doesn't have to go light or dark. By destroying this lightsaber, it's really telling the the viewer we have to move forward from here. We can't continue to go backwards we can't continue to see what we've seen before we have to go in a new direction and you know we'll talk about why jj ruined it but it's just a great setup to end the movie on the fact that the lightsaber is broken the kyber crystal that we know from the first movie from a new hope is broken and we as an audience and ray as a as a jedi need to move forward knowing that this is broken and we have to find something else now we don't but that's where we're left off with this film. I, and I just, I love, I love it. I, I absolutely love that. Um, and I wish we could have seen where it would have gone. And that's why I wish they would have, she would have taken his hand. Mm-hmm. And and then they could have left. Now, I'm still forever hating Kylo Ren for killing Han Solo. But maybe Ray would have seen like, yeah, you did. You killed Han. I get it. But I'm going to try now where everybody else has failed you in your life to counsel you. And you could have had this whole side, not side story even, but that would have been the story. The beginning, you know, they could have disappeared or maybe you have that confrontation with Luke later and Ray is like, oh, okay, hey, Luke, um, you know, I got him. I got him pretty close. Mm -hmm. We're trying to get him on the good side now. You know, you could have had this great dynamic between the young and the old and the, and the new and all that. Um, But yeah, that's, that's why I wish the, before even the the saber was destroyed, that they would have, 
they would have mm-hmm. gone off together. And then even once it was destroyed, then yes, still give me something different, but it just which I think we we got something different by the way that Luke came and I, a lot of people have problems with the fact that Luke never left his island and he was there with them on this really cool salt planet where the salt is white on top but as soon as you disturb it it turns red i mean just visually stunning which mm-hmm. is to the light and the dark i mean it's just ryan knew what he was doing when he was making this film visually we wouldn't have had this standoff this great standoff and and in my opinion this great send-off for luke where he has now come full circle and understands that he's the reason that kylo turned it's not snoke's fault it was his fault and he needs to come and repair that by helping his sister and the resistance get away yeah speaking of snoke my last thought just on the throne room though is i did feel completely let down even though i was enjoying it but that this character that we didn't know at all from the force awakens and we barely got any extra information if any in uh, the last jedi and then he's just killed and that's it So ultimately, at that point, all Snoke was, whether J.J. had him built up to be something great later, and then Ryan took it a different way, or whatever happened there, or if Snoke was never really supposed to be much except uh, a pawn and a a ploy and a plot device, um, I really felt like when the lightsaber went through him, I did think, what? So we don't get to know anything about this guy because I'm still confused as to how he was even able to pull Ben to the dark side. As I mentioned before, mm-hmm. right. was Ben going out late at night clubbing with the other Jedi and, <laughs> oh, hey, Snoke. Hey, Ben. How's it going, man? Hey, let me show you something, man. You know, like, mm-hmm. how did that even happen? These Jedi are I, in well, an academy for a reason. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think what so I love and when I left the theater. Was I disappointed in the moment that we didn't find out more about Snoke and that he was dead? I would say kind of. I wasn't hugely disappointed, but even after I left the theater and I started thinking more about it and dissecting the film in my head, I loved that we didn't learn more about Snoke, and I loved that he just didn't matter because this isn't Snoke's story. This isn't the Emperor's story. This is Rey and Kylo's story. It's not even Leia's or Han's or Luke's story. This is now Rey and Kylo's story. And for, for sure. And but, I but, love but the fact don't that get... what what we're oh, supposed to infer is that and, and we see this through the, the flashbacks. Luke thinks that Snoke poisoned Ben's mind. But in actuality, Snoke was poisoning both of their minds. And Snoke is the reason that Luke held his lightsaber up to Ben. And at the end of the day, Luke is the reason that Ben turned. Luke could have redeemed Kylo, could have redeemed Ben Solo. But his actions and his step into the dark side by holding his lightsaber over Ben is what caused Ben to turn. He lost faith and trust in his master, in his uncle, in his family, and in the mission they had. And it's truly, it was Luke's fault. Now, what role Snoke or the at the end of the day, what we find out now, the Emperor played in all of that is just to nudge Luke in that direction to corrupt his mind and corrupt his thoughts with the dark side. But it truly was Luke that turned Ben into Kylo Ren and Snoke was just there to pick up the pieces. 
And I think that's a lesson that, you know, it's another lesson that Ryan's trying to teach us that failure creates our, our failure is our greatest enemy. And in this instance, failure from Luke created the enemy of Kylo Ren. And so we don't need to know who Snoke is because all we need to know is that Luke failed Ben and that's why Ben is the way he is. Mm. I, I, I <laughs> okay. get that. No, no, you make sense. It's just so after that moment, then Ben just knows to go to Snoke. I mean, it's it. There's just too. There's too many gaps in in the story of because Ben is is it what at least twenty twenty two, like where did he even where did these notions come from? Like it's telling all of that in a flashback. It kind of goes to what I've said in other movies. It's show me, don't tell me. Yeah, yeah. And, and, that's and where these what we've talked about is we they had to show in comics, right? There's a comic called Kylo or or something like that where it shows how he goes to Snoke and how Snoke starts training him. There's, there's the, that's out there and we need to take other content to fill in gaps, which we shouldn't have to do, but that's what they did with this because JJ set up so much in force awakens, even though he retread, he did a retread of a new hope. He still set up way too many plot points. And Ryan was just trying to clear up some of those plot points and say, this doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. This doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. We need to focus on Kylo and Ray and, you know, say goodbye to Luke and show Carrie Fisher, show Leia as a strong leader. And and that's all we care about in this film. So let's get rid of all the fat. And that's what he yeah. tried to do. And did it work for everybody? No, obviously not. This is the most divisive of all Star Wars films. And and yet it had some of the coolest moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, and we've said this before on other podcasts, if I didn't already mention this at the beginning of this one, JJ set up all these great things to a story he was willing to turn over midway through to somebody else. Like that makes no sense to me at all. If you've got all these great ideas, you know, and now you're going to improv class, yes, and them over to somebody else. You can't be surprised when Michael Scott pulls a gun <laughs> and ruins everything you just set up because you're like, no, I had this complex, great story to tell. Well, whose fault is that? Whose fault is it for everybody involved in this project to think we're going to give it to one guy, give it to another guy. And then the third one you said was supposed to have a different director and JJ came in. Mm-hmm. So even then that plan was all scrubbed and screwy and and it's well, like if, watching it's like watching die hard five and seeing that it was written by <laughs> eight guys yeah <laughs> yeah i i think colin trevorrow who was going to direct the third colin, one that's his name yeah yeah he he and and ryan had been talking quite a bit and the script like what we've now seen of the leaks of colin trevorrow's idea mm-hmm. of what the movie was going to be is just it's masterful and it really picked up and drew from what Ryan created instead of taking the JJ and and Kathleen Kennedy approach of going back and erasing a lot of it. But we see this great showdown on crate to get back to the scene on crate. Ryan creates a sequence for us that goes back to what George Lucas's original vision for star Wars was, which was Akira Kurosawa, iconic Japanese samurai epics. Mm Mm-hmm. 
he creates this sequence between Kylo Ren and Luke Skywalker, which is truly a samurai showdown. Mm -hmm. And it is so beautiful. Not just the, the fighting of Ben being out of control and, or, or I should say Kylo in this moment being out of control and flailing around and running at him and, and Luke being the very, very poised, excuse me, mm-hmm. <laughs> poised and composed samurai as, as this, this poison and composed Jedi. But even the conversation that they have where he, Kylo says he's going to kill the last Jedi. And Luke says the resistance is reborn today. You know, I am not the last Jedi. <laughs> sure. Sure. He makes the joke of everything you just said is wrong. And that's supposed to alleviate some of the tension in the theater at that moment, which whether or not that was a good line is up for debate. I, I don't think it was warranted, but I also see that that's something like Luke's, Luke Skywalker would say. I like so, it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and before you continue, I just want to go one step even back before mm-hmm. we even get to this great dialogue that I thought completely set up all the dialogue we were going to hear, which was when, they were shooting all the cannons at Luke and he's like more, 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 which started to get into no territory, but uh, I'll allow it. Um, (laughs) He, uh, he stops and then Luke just brushes (laughs) off the shoulder, brushes his shoulder. Mm -hmm. Ben, I almost like that for me, um, Adam Driver, like there's moments in movies sometimes, you know, where they're the smallest little thing. But if an actor doesn't do them right, they fall in a weird. But Adam Driver put the perfect amount of into his reaction to Luke thumbing off like a piece of dust from his shoulder. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like Kylo Ren wanted to smile at his uncle. Right. Yeah. Like like they in their old training before he was ever tempted by Snoke or whatever. I'm sure Luke, again, like you said, it's a perfect Luke Skywalker line to say something kind of smart alecky, mm-hmm. you know, and and I'm sure in their trainings, you know, Luke would the same way he did the little feather trick with with Ray. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. he did little antics with them when they were kids and 10, 11, 12. And and I and I it's like Adam almost wants to grin at that that level of right i wouldn't say disrespect but just of you know yeah. that didn't you try disrespect nice yeah. try yeah mm-hmm. yeah it was a mocking disrespect of yeah you tried mm-hmm. and and it's like he almost but i if i were going to add up all the moments that i love that that scene right there that very little <laughs> that adam gives it's it's got to be in my top five for all of the uh, new trilogy moments. That it, it's so subtle, but as an actor, it it's such a great just you know who knows what that's even in the script that it just probably just says you know Kylo reacts right <laughs> and 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 he just like ah I I love that moment and it's so mm-hmm. so small. But to me, it then set up that he's going to go face him now. Like, okay, all right, night, good, good joke, old man. Now yeah. we're going to do this. 
Yep. Like, oh, so, so good. Yep. Yep. I, I agree. I I can't believe I neglected to to talk about that, along with him coming out and seeing Leia and the one scene they get to share together in all of these these movies. Uh, it's just that is a heartbreaking scene when he hands Leia the the dice from the Falcon and you know, they weren't real. And I think part of Leia knew that, but it's, and that's why she left them behind, but it's just a beautiful scene for us, not knowing that he's not really there, which we should have figured it out. Right. Cause he looks completely different. He's wearing different clothes. He's all cleaned up. The point of him not going and truly just using the last amount of his, his essence to call to the force to project himself there in a great force power that we haven't really seen is just another testament to Luke still being both too afraid to face Ben in person, but also strong enough to create this wonderful diversion. I mean, it's, it's, it balances and toes a line. And I, I personally am very happy with the fact that he projected himself in the way that Ben knew him from 10 years earlier or, or, you know, however many years earlier it was. Um, cause he looks like he does in the flashback scenes. Right. Ben wouldn't know that his hair is long and that he actually looks older and his, his beard is a little more unkempt. Right. Right. So I, I love that he projected himself as Ben knew him to face him. Oh, I love it too. Mm-hmm. I, I totally do. I think even too, the reason you could have, said, well, then Ryan Johnson should have made sure that that X-Wing was trashed, mm-hmm. right? Instead of just yeah. drowned and still looks intact, but it's underwater, we're just left as an audience to assume that it can't fly, right. and which is the way I took it. So when Luke showed up, I'm like, oh, I guess he did get that thing out. Man, I didn't think it was going to go anywhere. See, I think that was the whole point was for mm-hmm. the audience to go, oh, he must have got it out. Really? Right. Right. That thing looks swamped. But you couldn't have had it destroyed because then the audience would be like, well, how is Luke here now? Sure. So yeah. so yeah. It, that's the fine line. But unfortunately, that left open a little bit of a window for JJ in the third one <laughs> to be like, oh, well, that thing wasn't crushed. It still had wings. Yeah. It's just been underwater. <laughs> and then it's like, dang it. That's not why Ryan Johnson didn't wreck it. He wrecked, didn't wreck it. So we could have a good reveal right. in his movie. Not so you could bring this thing out of the water again. <sighs> yeah. But, but we're getting ahead of ourselves yeah, or right. I'm getting yeah. ahead of ourselves. But anyway, no, I, I agree with you that yes, the, the whole being there, but not being there. And then, and then, getting everything you wanted out of Luke. And then that, that even made it sadder to me. Like that. Yes. Leia did get to see him once, but then once you find out, like she even didn't even react to him, it was his essence. Mm-hmm. You know, it was his, the force doing that, that, that even made it a little sadder. Like, wow, she did get to see him, but she also didn't. Right. And it's, 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 it just made that scene more. And then I've, I've since read, that in the original script, though, Luke just leaves the room. And Luke, or Mark Hamill, rather, read the script and said, I don't, I gotta say hi to 3PO. Like, are you mm-hmm. kidding me? Right. And yeah. and he threw in the, the wink, you know, Master Luke. And then he winks at 3PO there, or he winks when he leaves. But yeah, yeah. But Mark Hamill's the one who said, are you kidding me? I can't. It's, 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 it's as obvious as, you know, 
Chewie walking right past Leia and Leia hugging right. Ray. It's like, are you kidding me? Like these are these people had thirty years of interacting that we didn't see. It's not like we're oh hey, it's a family reunion. Sorry, I didn't notice you there. My gosh, well, everybody's <laughs> here, huh? Well, I got to get going. Right. You know, it's like yeah. these people were were family. And right. anyway, but I love. No, we know you're right, and I'm I'm glad that he did throw it in there. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I I just I love. Everything about what Mark Hamill did in this movie was incredible to me. It was mm-hmm. so well done. Agreed. Agreed. He he might have disagreed with the way the character was taken, but he I think it's the best acting he's ever done in a Star Wars film in this movie. And Ryan Johnson pulled that out of him. And I like that you mentioned that because when there are, you know, real world problems on the set, problems with the director, the actor doesn't like the script. You, you, you hear about these things now more than you ever did, obviously, back in the 70s and 80s. You know, internet mm-hmm. gets everything now. We only read now, like, these these older stars coming out and being, oh, yeah, when we made uh, Caddyshack, uh, blah, 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 <laughs> right? We hear about it all now, but you didn't hear about it as it was actually happening at the time. Not not like we do right. now, but but I think that's a great testament to Mark Hamill being very vocal on Twitter and the internet about like, ah, I didn't like that script. They didn't do this thing, but I didn't pick up any of that in his performance. He was still a professional and was like, all right, that's the script. Uh, That's what I'm going to do. Like, I'm going to play it. I'm going to give it all I got. I don't like it, Mm -hmm. you know, and who knows what other maybe, right. And who knows what other little subtle parts he might have tossed in there besides the wink. You know, right. the wink is just the only one I read about. But maybe there were little line changes here or there or or whatever. You know, heck, he might have even had to improvise something with R2 there. You know, yeah. like, come on, really? R2's here and I don't do anything? But but yeah, yeah he, he just did such a good job of being old Luke. But then you also saw, I felt, young Luke too like when Chewie bursts into the hut mm-hmm. and you hear him go, Chewie, like what? Like it's a surprise yeah. and it's in a warmth of, oh my God, an old friend. But, you know, it's, there was so much emotion and subtext conveyed in his Chewie. Yeah. Like that, that's where like, yes, Ryan Johnson being able to get this out of these actors. It's, it's, it's as good as the, uh, me yep yep yeah the the mvps of this movie are adam driver and and mark hamill for sure i mean daisy ridley is great but the two best actors in this film are adam driver and mark hamill yeah and and you know that leads to the what we started talking about which is what luke says to adam driver before he finally runs at him and slashes through the force projection and that just embodies the spirit of what Ryan was going for in this film is that no matter what evil there is, there's always something to oppose it. No matter what good there is, there's always something to oppose it. And using this force projection as the means to help the good guys escape, to continue on this adventure is is just, I you know, we've already said it and I can't go I'll probably cut all this because we can't say more about it. It's just masterfully done. Um, I love how he slashes through him and then comes up and pokes his lightsaber through him. And the look on Adam Driver's face, like talking about the acting 
that's pulled mm-hmm. out of this. Like when you're when you're filming this movie, you're on a soundstage that is all green, green screen around you. You're standing on green and there's green everywhere around you. And you are pointing this prop lightsaber into this other character and sure there's no end on it so that they can put it in and post but they're they're truly standing there with each other but adam driver's face the emotion that we get when he puts the lightsaber through luke and realizes that this has all been a ruse it's just it it it's Mm -hmm. mind-blowing absolutely mind-blowing adam driver might be one of the best actors of our generation i mean he's he just can do so much with this character, and, and he does it. I'd have to see more of Adam before I could jump on that train. I like him. I think he's good. I've seen him in a few other things, but um, I, I want to see more from the kid. I want to mm-hmm. see what he can do. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of kid, that was the best send-off line, too. Mm-hmm. See you around, kid. Like, yeah. it was it was Luke, but it was also Han. Yeah. You know? That was, he was hearing both his uncle and his father in that line, you know, see you around kid. That's, that's how Han Solo talks. And I think, you know, that was a deliberate choice, obviously, to, to make, make that send off a little more personal, even, even more than like Luke just being able to, you know, because Mm -hmm. Luke doesn't have a really, you know, Luke, Luke's send off is may the force be with you, right? That's how he leaves people so he can't really say that so what what's his next choice you know han solo and empire strikes back you know take see care kid yep 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 see you around kid and i was like oh my gosh that was great and then that the sunset death scene yep i mean gosh we're with introduced- the swell of the the force the force theme, theme yeah oh man we're Absolutely introduced beautiful. to luke in a sunset and then we leave Luke in a sunset and and I think it's cool too that these trilogies they they bring a character full circle we 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 see two characters even though unfortunately with Carrie Fisher passing we didn't get as great of a send-off of her because of having to Mm -hmm. just reconstruct scenes but we saw Luke and Leia born and then we see Luke and Leia die right that's that's a full lifetime you know, there are very few movies or or characters even that are so fully encompassing that you see their lifetime in their story, you know? Right. Yeah. Like the, the I mean, just off the top of my head, because obviously movies are only two hours long. And unless you're doing like a five years later, 20 years later kind of movie, we, we saw these characters be born, grow up live their lives and then and then die no i i completely see what you're saying it's it's a character's full arc from birth to death which usually we just see an arc from a hero's journey or a villain's journey or you know whatever it might be but right this is a true lifetime arc that we've seen and we've been able to see because of the the way these films have been constructed and yet his send-off is perfect the music is just beautiful so ray uses while luke is talking about how the jedi will live on and he won't be the last jedi ray we have a cut you know this intercut sequence where ray's lifting all the boulders and helping the resistance get away and they all get on the falcon so now we see that the resistance is decimated so much that they all can fit on the millennium falcon and 
we we see Leia and Ray feel Luke's force, you know, leave. And um, Ray is sitting there with the broken lightsaber with the cracked crystal in each end of the hilt. And Leia puts her hand on her and, and tells her that we'll keep going. And I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful finale to the, what we've gotten in this film. So sure, you think maybe Ray and Kylo should have taken hands and we would have gotten this whole end sequence because they would have gone off together. And that's where the movie could have ended. But for what we got, I think it's a perfect ending where Leia is comforting Ray and saying, we'll, we will continue. There's still a spark. There's still hope. And, you know, amidst all of this that we've seen through this movie, the, the resistance being destroyed to the brink of extinction, Leia is still there and Leia still has hope. It's just a beautiful testament to her character capping off the end of this second part of a trilogy. Yeah, there's a great ending. Uh, I, I liked how it all, I, I do like the, the, the callback to, you know, the force is more than lifting rocks. Mm-hmm. That's great because that goes back to Luke, you know, on Dagobah lifting rocks and levitating yep. things. So, so it's a callback earlier in the film and then, a, and then she finally actually has to lift rocks. So that, <laughs> that's, that's humorous too. See, that's, that's what I think these movies miss a little bit of, uh, you know, we mentioned, you know, Poe and his, you know, I got a message about your mother and it's like, oh, geez. Yeah. Well, now we're inserting That's the wrong kind of humor. Yeah, we're inserting slapsticky, you know, <laughs> again, I mentioned Caddyshack. It's Caddyshack kind of humor in there. But uh, <laughs> but but this was the perfect callback, light humor, good moment. You know, she mm-hmm. actually has to lift the rocks and then they all get... But then you bring up a great point and it gets us into the next film. But the resistance fits on the Millennium Falcon and then it's back in the next one. Like nobody, nobody was answering my phone calls, Leia says, you know, or Poe says nobody answered. Like nobody even called to say, gosh, Leia, we can't get an army that quick. Um, But, you know, we'll rendezvous here. You know, it's just like, no, nobody answered the call. We all fit on the Mm -hmm. Falcon. Yeah. We do know that there are characters out there in the in the galaxy because Greg Runberg is out in the universe doing something. We know that there are still people in the resistance out there, but you know, for the for the bulk of the resistance, they're they're gone. You know, they've been killed. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they, nobody answered the call, <laughs> and that we see that line take a very different turn in the next film, which we'll talk about <laughs> in a few months. <laughs> it almost makes that. That line seems stupid with what happens in Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Yep, it, it does. And it's, you know, JJ's hack writing that we'll talk about when we get to Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> so anyway, with all this being said, Eric, we've we've gone back and forth. We've talked about the good and the bad. Did The Last Jedi ruin your childhood? Absolutely did. No, no, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> see ryan Great. johnson directed the first part of my line and then jj abrams directed the second part which was not nah, kidding that didn't happen <laughs> perfect perfect um uh, no no it didn't ruin it like i said the, the i mean a top five moment from all these last three movies is is adam driver's little grunt half whatever reaction there and 
gosh, seeing Mark Hamill again on the screen as Luke and, and as Luke, like that's always, I've said it before, the, the question, are they going to come back strong as the characters you knew them as? And man, that's, that was, you said it, that, that was probably, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it was the best Luke Skywalker, but it was the culmination of Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Anything less would have betrayed a lot of the groundwork laid in the original films. But sure. but whether Mark liked what he was doing, whether the audience liked what he was doing, I liked everything about him being on screen. And I wish Cantobite was shorter and that would make this movie a little more enjoyable for me because that's a lot of fast forwarding to do there. It's a lot of chapter <laughs> skips when you get to Cantobite. Um but uh but overall uh yeah, it's not a childhood ruiner. I think it gives us some new neat insight into the force. It's muddled, it's murky. I would have preferred to just see what Ryan Johnson, even get Colin Trevorrow out of there. I'd like to see what Ryan Johnson would have done with the third part and where he would have taken it. So not a childhood ruiner for me. Yep. And for me, same thing. It is definitely not a childhood ruiner. I mean, the culmination of this film is all characters have, they've outdone themselves. They've learned their lessons the hard way. They've sacrificed their friends and family but they're still staying true to their cause, which is protecting the light. And, you know, the final thing we see, as much as we hate Canto Bite, the final thing we see is that a child in on Canto Bite uses the force to pull the broom to him. And that's the last shot of this film. And it's, it's truly what Ryan Johnson was trying to create that I love so much that anyone can use the force, that it's not you don't have to be a Skywalker or a Palpatine or a Kenobi or whatever it might be. Anyone can be strong in the force. And that is supposed to give hope to anyone in the galaxy. And I just love the messages that were created in this film. And this I've said it before, and I will say it for the world to hear. Maybe we'll lose some subscribers because of it, but the last Jedi is my second favorite star Wars movie. And it's because of these themes that we that we have running throughout and the direction of Ryan Johnson. So Too far, it didn't, Bill. Too far. It didn't ruin my childhood. It definitely didn't ruin my childhood. Um, it makes the older films more enjoyable and makes me care even more about a character that, that defined part of my childhood in Luke Skywalker. Eric, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me on Instagram at Eric underscore Walensky. And you can find me at Phil Demo, F-I-L-D-I-M-O, at Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. We hope that this look back at The Last Jedi didn't ruin your childhood. Could it be I've misunderstood? This podcast ruined my childhood. I failed you, Ben. I'm sorry. I'm sure you are. The resistance is dead. The war is over. And when I kill you, I will have killed the last Jedi. Amazing. Every word of what you just said was wrong. The rebellion is reborn today. The war is just beginning. I will not be the last Jedi.
I'll destroy her, and you, and all of it. No. Strike me down in anger and I'll always be with you. Just like your father. See you, bro. should have figured it out but i didn't well it it's so funny because two i i should have known it because when they showed the x-wing underwater mm-hmm. and i i don't i i might have even said in the theater i i don't think i would have i don't talk during these star wars movies but at some <laughs> point i was like that thing was scrapped i think somebody might have said like well why didn't he fly he could have he had the x-wing and i'm like no way that thing was drowned it was mm-hmm. done it's been underwater yeah. for 10 years well, <laughs> I guess another force power we've never seen is being able to dry out an X-Wing right? <laughs> because it flew. And it, and not to skip ahead, but man, I felt so dumb when she gets at that X-Wing and rides a Skywalker. I'm like, that, that, why didn't Luke do that? That's now we're now I look stupid. Thanks, well, no, J.J. Abrams. I think I think <laughs> you, you have a valid point because it shouldn't have worked it should have been completely rusted out i mean there's uh there's a lot wrong with what happened in rise of skywalker 